The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers, from online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Cal Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. The most fascinating news on the internet always seems to find its way into Dave Pell's carefully curated and always entertaining next draft email newsletter. Mr. Pell has turned his addiction for getting the scoop into a vast and loyal following of A-list media heads. He calls Next Draft his modern-day column, and the infectious one-man curation engine is hard to delete, although he believes his friends do it often. In addition to being a successful venture capitalist, Dave carves out time to do a weekly podcast with veteran journalist Phil Bronstein called What Hurts, a unique blend of fascinating news and personal angst. In this file, Dave Pell and I discuss the downside of technology, how to turn an addiction to news into an audience, video game music as a productivity hack, why you should always delete your first paragraph, the real difference between writing and podcasting, and how Tony Soprano raised Dave Pell's stock. Mr. Dave Pell, thank you so much for jumping onto the Writer Files podcast to chat with me a little bit about your process. Thanks a lot for having me. So for listeners who may not be familiar, can you uh, give us kind of a little bit of your origin story? Uh, sure. Basically, I, I right now the main project I work on in the writing world is called Next Draft, and it's a email newsletter and an iPhone and iPad app where I basically cover the day's most fascinating news. Um, I'd probably fall into the broad category of a curator, but I don't really like that word, not necessarily for the same reasons most people don't, because a lot of people think it's sort of downplays the value of curators at museums and other places, but I really just don't like it because I, I really focus on my writing. Uh, I am linking off to the 
10 stories that I think are the most fascinating in the news that day. But I'm sort of giving you intros in, in my own words. So I really think of it as a modern day column. Whereas if the column was invented today instead of during the print era, I think what it would be is a lot of takes on a very various subjects with links off to uh, sites where you can find more information. So that, that's sort of an overview next draft. I just, it's the day's most fascinating news. It's totally personality driven. I don't, I don't really use any kind of algorithms. It's just me looking at sites and picking the best news of the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a big fan uh, of that. And of course, uh, you've kind of branched it off now into a podcast that seems that's called what, what hurts. And you do that one with Phil Bronstein uh, kind of an intersection of your current headlines and angst, I guess, is kind of how it's presented. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, uh, we say it's sort of two middle-aged Jews talking about life at the intersection of global news and personal angst. <laughs> so it's sort of the, the same conversation. We're old friends and it's sort of the same conversation we tend to have when we're just hanging out having coffee. So we decided to add a little structure to it and make it a podcast. And Phil is... Uh, was the editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Now he's the executive chairman of the Center for Investigative Reporting and their big radio show called Reveal. So he's really a old school media guy. And I'm sort of new media, but an older version new media guy. So it's sort of old media meets older media. <laughs> um, well, it's fun because it kind of gives definitely another dimension to what you do, it seems like. And it's almost like, to me, a, like a best of the newsletter and uh, an added um, dose of, of your personality. And you've always kind of said, I think that your newsletter has been kind of a personal, a personality driven vehicle uh, for your writing, which is, is pretty fantastic. So when, when did you decide that you uh, really wanted to be a writer? Was that pretty early on or? Yeah, I've always been sort of humanities major from birth. Um, I've always done a lot of writing from school papers to uh, before the internet came around, I used to write up these 30-page diatribes on what was going on in my life or takes on certain social, or cultural, and political issues. And then I'd take them down to uh, what is now, I guess, uh, one of the FedEx office stores. Back then it was called Kinko's. And I'd print it up and actually bind it and mail it out in large envelopes to about 30 or 40 friends. So I was sort of blogging before there was blogging. So I've, I've always sort of been writing. The internet just sort of gave me an outlet to uh, make publishing a little bit easier and maybe for my closest friends to make deleting a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you I mean, you've written for a lot of um, kind of online publications and you've got kind of a streak of um, journalism as well as kind of um, having your thumb on the pulse of, of the tech world, obviously, because you are also a venture capitalist out there. But where can we find more of your writing kind of out there in the, out there in the world? Um, well, almost every time that I write anything other than Next Draft, I link to it from Next Draft. So that's sort of the best way to find any future pieces. In terms of past pieces, I, I, I've written a lot lately or republished, at least, on Medium. So if you go to Medium and search for Dave Pell, you can find some of it there. Nice. Um, and then a lot of my older original essays are still, I imported them into Next Draft. So if you go to the Next Draft site, and there, we have a, a section called Originals, and I have a lot of pieces there. But most of those had been published earlier on other sites, and most of those earlier pieces sort of dealt with the intersection of the real-time 
economy in our real lives. It felt like as a, I'm, like you said, I'm an angel investor. And I felt uh, a few years ago, this is more of a common topic now, but it was much less talked about a few years ago that there was sort of a lack of dialogue about the issue of how technology was affecting us negatively. Hmm. Um, most people in the industry that I, I know and work with, when we get together, we were constantly complaining about, oh, I'm looking at my phone, I should be paying attention to my kids, I'm overwhelmed by it, I never sleep, I'm you know always on. You know, the general downsides of being always on and not being able to turn it off. But when it was came to public discourse, most people in the industry would only talk about how great it was because, of course, it was the, you know, sort of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that nobody wanted to really disturb. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt like it would be good to sort of get insiders' account of um, sort of the addictive qualities of technology and the downsides of technology. Not because I think it's terrible. I, I invest in it. I use it. I, it's really been an incredible source to release creative people in their work from all over the world. And it's great, but I think there's also some downsides to it. And I think if we pay attention to those downsides as we move forward, we have a, a somewhat better chance of uh, making the best of it. There's no doubt it's here to stay. I'm not a Luddite by any means. So, <laughs> but, I, but I do think it's worth talking about. So a lot of my older writing, I would say from a couple of years ago, was surrounding that topic, how technology is affecting the way we interact with each other, the way we interact with the media, and uh, just live our lives in these modern times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will encourage um, listeners to seek out Next Draft um, and sign up because it's a, a fascinating daily read. Uh, and you're working on some kind of breakneck deadlines, it seems like, over there to to churn those out. They are uh, really, really actually very well written and a lot of fun to read. So kudos on that. I know you're working on that. Are you working on anything else uh, presently? Uh, well, usually I spend the first half of my day writing uh, and then from about nine to one. And then the second half of my day is really focused on angel investing. So I'm either meeting with existing companies or uh, hearing pitches from new companies. Yeah. Uh, and the main the main uh, other thing I'm doing, as you mentioned, I'm working on this podcast, which is uh, we're only about four episodes in. So that's really actually requires a lot of time at this point. I think it'll get less as we go. But um, I was saying to somebody recently, it's not often that I do something I don't do at this point in my life. And I've, I've really never done podcasting. I've been on them like I'm doing now, but I haven't really done my own. Yeah. So it's interesting to uh, learn a new process and sort of learn how to prepare for that. But it is taking quite a bit of time. So between Next Draft and the What Hurts podcast, that's sort of taking up almost all of my psychic energy these days. Yeah, absolutely. I know the feeling. Well, that's great. And the podcast is, is a lot of fun. Um, definitely enjoying it and chuckling quite a bit at your uh, rapport there um, with Mr. Bronstein. So uh, kudos on that. So it seems like you're spending the first half of your day writing and then switching your brain. But before you kind of sit down, crack your knuckles, uh, do you have any like pregame rituals for you kind of you write get into the mode of writing there? Uh, basically I, I have a commute, uh, I live in Marin, I work in the city. So basically I drop off my kids at the bus stop and the second they, they close the door and head to the bus, I immediately turn my serious radio station from their favorite channel to Howard Stern. Uh, I'm a devout Howard Stern listener. So I listen to that for about an hour during my commute and, uh, that gets me in the vibe, I guess, or takes my mind off my stresses and lets me focus on something else. And then basically I just open tabs 
usually the night before I, I take one quick look at about six or seven news sites to see if there's any huge stories. And then I'm sort of thinking about them uh, as I'm going to bed and as I wake up, what might be interesting headlines or if I have a take on the subject. But once I actually start, officially start, all I really do is open my laptop and I uh, open about 25 tabs and I do that three times. So I do go to about 75, 80 websites. And I'm just basically scanning each one of those sites for stories that I think both that are fascinating and especially if they have some way of fitting in with each other that might not be totally obvious because I like to pair stories together and sort of give people a more broad overview of a topic. Yeah. And so I, I spend about two hours looking for the stories and I spend about two hours writing the stories. Okay. So are you, are you scheduling that, th that two hours then? Are you like, do you have a, do you have a timer that goes off? That's like, okay, I got to switch to writing mode now. No, I just, uh, it, it's almost always takes about the same time. Sometimes, uh -huh. some days it might be an hour and a half looking for stories and some days it might be two and a half hours looking for stories, but it's basically around, I start at nine and by 11, I'm usually writing. And the top story of the day is usually the one I usually want to have either a more of a joke or more of a take or more of a point on. So I usually spend a little bit more time writing number one and I always have 10, 10 stories basically. Okay. And then, then I move a little bit quick, more quickly during the, during the rest of them. Nice. So, um, do you prefer music or silence there in the office? Uh, you know, I was, I, I don't do too well with music with words, but for a while I had read an article that I actually linked to from next draft that, uh, told about the upside of listening to, music from video games because video games are all about getting you to if you work hard or somewhat hard to be able to level up and get to the next level and if you don't do that generally you stop playing the game so they've basically done a lot of studies to try to create music that helps you to achieve and sort of pumps you up and helps you get over to the next level so after that i tried that i'm not much of a gamer but i started listening to uh, a lot of a lot of music from first-person shooters and from Zelda and different games. And I found it actually did work. I got incredibly pumped and was writing much more fast. But uh, I also found that I just had an incredible number of typos and mistakes and people were emailing me saying, hey, are you on drugs over there or what? So I had to turn <laughs> it off. And so now I go music-free. But for the average person, I, it, may, it took me a little too high, but I, it's definitely worth a try because... I read that article and I really did get pumped when I was uh, listening to that music. Might be better for treadmill than writing, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a great tip. Is there a, um, a video game soundtrack uh, channel on, on the Spotify these days? Uh, I think I was using RDO and I just sort of searched for uh, the name of a couple video games. And my wife and son are just Zelda obsessive. So I started with that. That was a little too mellow. So then I went to one of the one of the shooting games. I don't remember what it was, but one of the popular shooting games. And it was sort of some it was some kind of Russian music that just was designed to get you <laughs> pumped. So it worked. I mean I wrote two hours worth in about 45 minutes, but it was just littered with typos and uh, unconscious attacks and threats to strangers and stuff like that. So I decided it might not be for me. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, and in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, 
where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, here's the million dollar question um, for a guy who's uh, just churning out day after day. Do you believe in writer's block? Uh, you know, I'm one of the reasons why I chose the structure of next draft was to avoid that because I, I basically am riffing off of the news. So I, I'm, I'm getting my topics for writing from the outside and then sort of reacting to that and writing stuff about that, whether it's stuff I've thought about before or I'm just thinking about at the moment. So I, I really don't have the possibility for writer's block when it comes to next draft. With other type of writing, um, I guess I sort of believe in it, but it's, I find, you know, there's two methods that I use of writing that are sort of sound diametrically opposite, but they both work for me. One is that I used to take a, I remember I had a chemistry teacher and I'm horrible, like most humanities majors at science, all sciences. And I was horrible in my chemistry, high school chemistry class. And I still have dreams about not passing it and being stuck in high school, even today, 25 <laughs> years later. But my chemistry teacher used to always say this thing to us in high school, which was write, don't think. And he was talking about formulas. But if I ever have writer's block, sometimes I'll just do that. I'll just start writing and not thinking too much about it. And I find if you do that, your first paragraph often can suck pretty hard. But if you write your full essay and go back up and just delete paragraph one, usually you've got a pretty good piece. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I do much more often, actually, is I just, I'm thinking about what I'm going to write so often that... Um, by the time I sit down, I'm usually already have the article written. I have the key hooks and it's just a matter of the grind of the work of doing it. I don't really ever sit down and think, okay, what, what's my take on this topic? Mm. Usually I have that in my mind before, uh, even when I was in school or college or whatever, I had usually written the entire essay in my mind in terms of the outline. And then it was just a matter of, uh, actually doing the sentences, which is a lot more boring than thinking of the hooks, but it's mostly just work as opposed to something that you would be unable to do. Yeah. Well, you've been doing Next Draft uh, since what, like 1999? Well, I've done different di different versions of it. This current version is really probably only about maybe two or three years old. Yeah. But even two or three years is 
a pretty good amount of time. I don't know how many emails that would uh, amount to, but you've cut your teeth, I would think, and really honed your voice. So it really comes through strong. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, okay. So let's talk about workflow just a little bit. Are you a Mac uh, user or a PC user? Oh, I, I think it comes through in my witty banter so far in this discussion that I'm obviously a Mac user. <laughs> and um, do you have some proprietary kind of software that you use most for your writing kind of general workflow there? No, actually all of my writing for the last, uh, since the internet really got going and computers really got going has been in a program called BB Edit, which is a really weird old school program that is used uh, mostly by coders. Uh, it's really good for writing code because it has sort of color-coded entries for different type of codes and has buttons that you can add and copy code really quickly. I'm not actually writing any code except for line breaks into my into my writing, but I've just been using that uh, since day one, so I just keep using it, basically. It's a really sort of... It's, the company is called Bare Bones, and it really is a bare bones <laughs> editing tool. Nice. Um, so... I, I basically write into it one day and the next day I just uh, delete item one and write item one, delete item two and write item two. So it's uh, sort of a really rote way of working. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you have any organizational hacks to just kind of keep it, all the thoughts together or does it all just go into that one? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty bad generally at that. I've been, I'm now on I think year four of trying to find a note taking app that makes me happy. Um, it's probably my, ironically, my number one productivity problem is trying to find productivity software. Before I <laughs> had that issue, I really didn't have a productivity problem. But I use uh, Evernote and Apple Notes uh, to jot down notes every now and then. Hmm. But usually I'm just jotting down one word uh, to remind me of something. I'm hmm. not really writing much before I actually start writing. I just like to write down a word or two here and there to remind me of something. And uh, I'm also bookmarking stuff all the time. So because my kind of writing is so, uh, I'm sort of, I don't want to say reactionary because that has a different meaning, but I'm sort of reacting to what's coming at me. Um, the links, in a way, are a set of notes for me because I, I know why I, why I saved that link and I know what my take on that link is. So I don't really have to do a lot of prep work. When it comes to specifically next draft, other types of writing, I definitely... Uh, we'll jot down a few notes and usually even a few lines. I, I Like I said, I, I really like to be have written the piece in my mind before I ever sit down if I'm writing something long form. So um, I'll usually have, you know, sort of the money shots of the piece written before I write the opening sentence. Yeah. And, and that's why I always find if I had to pick one writing tip that at least works for me, I almost always find that when I'm writing something longer, uh, if I go back up at the end and delete the first paragraph, I almost always get into it a lot better. Uh, a lot of times my wife will read my reading and she says, well, I, I see on paragraph two where you have the point you've been talking about. Well, why do you have this intro up here? <laughs> so, you know, that's, I think, one of the lessons that the web teaches us, you know, because you really know if people are reading your whole piece, how long you're spending on your piece. And hmm. it's really important to get that first paragraph right, whether it's to intrigue them or to give them a key idea or to make somebody laugh, that you really have to do that, even for very serious pieces. You know, I don't think this is a... I think it's just a reality. I don't think it's a reality that's changed because of the internet, but I think we're more aware of it because of the internet stats. 
So you really want to hit it out of the park or at least get somebody really leaning forward on that first paragraph because otherwise, as we all know, they'll take off. Yeah. Um, you know, I think like what we're doing now, audio is very different. It's more of a club. It's more of listen to my podcast over a few weeks and you'll sort of be a member of the club and get into the vibe. And if I'm trying to hit you over the head with really interesting, shareable thoughts constantly, it'll just be too much and you'll want to turn it off. But writing is really different. Writing is, hey, here I am. You don't know who I am. I'm, I'm trying to entertain you or interest you in this thought. And even if, it's, even if it's a very serious article, that first paragraph is just totally critical. And that goes for, I think, almost any kind of writing, news writing, uh, feature writing, a college essay. That first paragraph is just really where the money is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, are you um, someone who kind of leans into procrastination? Uh, well, when it comes to next draft, I can't really procrastinate because I sort of every day, every weekday at about one, I press the publish button. So I got to I gotta move on that. Um, any sort of desire I'd have to procrastinate is way outweighed by my sick and pathetic and needy uh, demand and desire for that dopamine hit of having people read my stuff and share my stuff and click on my stuff. So I'm really so sickly addicted to that that <laughs> that outweighs... Um, any kind of procrastination. It's like a guy heading to a methadone clinic. You know, I, I don't really feel like walking, but I'm going to walk. So even if I don't feel like writing, I feel like pressing that publish button. So I almost never procrastinate. On longer stuff, sometimes I might put it off. There's also an interesting thing about writing it during the internet era, I think, where you can get 10x or even 100x views on a, on a topical article if it happens that that topic is sort of moving in the internet world at that moment, if there's a meme going around, if there's another article, there's an event. So sometimes you want to sort of save an idea until the right moment. And that can lead a little bit to procrastination because, you know, if a year goes by and that moment didn't come, then you sort of uh, miss the opportunity. But generally, um, yeah, my, my, my desire to be published is much greater than my desire to kick back. <laughs> well, how does Dave Pell unplug at the end of a, a long day of surfing the web and, and researching and writing and then doing your other um, all-important stuff? Well, I mean, if you ask my wife and children, he doesn't really. He just keeps ignoring them and staring at the screen while they're trying to read to him or uh, get help with their homework or share a romantic dinner, depending on which of the people it is. But uh, usually I'll just read a book or... Um, I'm also a TV addict, so it's ironic that the, the web has sort of made TV have a better connotation in a way, I think, because before it was like, don't watch TV, you're having too much screen time. But at this point, it's there's almost a little bit of truth to it. You know, when you're watching a show, it's one of the few times that you're all doing the same thing at the same time as opposed to staring at your separate screens. So I, I'm a TV addict also, so I watch a lot of TV for better or worse, and pretty into sports. And then my, my kids are nine and seven. So, uh, they almost always have an event every day or every evening. So, hmm. uh, I spent a lot of time watching soccer games and basketball practices and gymnastics and things like that. Well, I've heard you talk about storytelling and, and creativity and you're kind of mining curiosity on a, a daily basis, but you're, you're kind of following the stories. And, and so you're, you're touching that vein of whatever, 
whatever curiosity and creativity is out there in the, in the greater zeitgeist. So do, how do you personally define creativity? Um, hmm, that's a tough question. How do I define creativity? I mean, I think it can come in really any form, whether it's artistic creativity or writing creativity or, you know, a business development person who's really creative about putting a deal together. I, I think there's a lot of different forms of creativity. It's the thing that I think is most exciting about this moment in time is that it's the abilities to express that creativity uh, are so much greater now than they used to be. I mean, what I do, I'm generally a self-effacing person, but specifically what I do, I'm definitely the best person in the world at what I do, but I'm the only person in the world who does what I do because I, I took a set of skills and interests that I have. I'm a news addict. Uh, I love skimming a lot of news sites. I can write recaps or overviews that are very clear and I can come up with jokes pretty quickly or takes pretty quickly. And I tend to find stories that people are interested in. Now, on each of those things on their own are really almost worthless uh, on the open market of create selling your creativity. But the internet allowed me to take those things I like doing and that I'm pretty good at and sort of form a suite of tools around it so that I could actually create a product based on what I'm good at and what I like doing. And, and that's really where I think the internet has created sort of a creative explosion that's really even greater than the economic explosion it's created because mm. people really can create the tools to express what their creativity is. And so that's really, that's the thing I'm most grateful for when it comes to the internet because really what I do was not possible 10, 20 years ago. And uh, now I'm able to, I, I, I have a publishing tool that's, you know, as professional as any major publisher on the internet, you know, it's powered by WordPress VIP. It's really high end and it's built specifically around the way I work. Not only, not only what I publish, but specifically the way I work. So it really, it really made it easy um, with some help of some developers and designers to sort of take what I'm good at and let me create a product around that. And that's really what I think if I was talking to a kid who wanted to express their creativity. That, that's what I'd say is the big opportunity today. You don't need to fit into any specific silo in order to share or adapt your creative uh, endeavors to a certain goal. You can just adapt the environment to what you're good at and what you want to say. And that's really pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've kind of been called the, the internet's managing editor and you've got this laundry list of kind of um, high-profile journalists that, that follow you, you and your newsletter and your stuff. What do you think makes a writer great? I mean, I think there's a lot of things. It depends what kind of writer, really. I mean, I think uh, when it comes to uh, investigative pieces, for example, it's really finding something new that people didn't know and hopefully having it be able to change somebody's life. So like I mentioned earlier, my podcast partner, Phil Bronstein, works at the Center for Investigative Reporting. And the stuff they do is incredible because they find stories that really lead to change. I mean, I think last year, maybe three laws were changed as a direct result of the stories they worked on. So that's one form of great writing. Other form of great writing is just, uh, if it's entertaining, you know, a feature the guys at Epic Magazine write these incredible features on different topics, and it's almost like watching a movie. It's so entertaining from start to finish. 
So I, I think really it's hard to say what great writing is. It's, it has to have a combination of things. And of course, different kinds of writing touch different kinds of people. Yeah. But ultimately, my, my favorite kind of writing is very clear writing. If it's funny, that's awesome. If it's touching, that's great. But I really like very clear, lucid writing uh, that's uh, very readable and you can move through it. And that's, for me, that's my favorite kind of writing. Do you have a, do you have a couple of favorite authors that you just like read religiously? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't really think I have favorite authors. It's interesting. I mean, probably like I love Maria Konnikova who writes for the New Yorker. She writes sort of uh, pieces that are really, I'd say it's a category called personal interests. Uh, she writes about stuff like memory and bullying in the age of the internet. Um, and she usually has really good hooks and you find yourself sort of nodding your head like, oh yes, I know exactly what she means there. Mm -hmm. So almost every time she writes an article for the New, York, New Yorker, I find it's my top piece. So, you know, I really like her, but there's, there's just a ton of writers um, yeah. out there that I, that I feel that way about. But she's definitely one. The New Yorker does a ton of great stuff. Uh, it depends the category also. If it's something I want to laugh at, you know, the Onion or McSweeney's has really good selections of stuff. I mean, they're using a million different writers, but they surface really good stuff. So yeah, uh, it's a pretty wide, wide variety. Sure. Um, well, you, your stuff is infinitely quotable. Um, it's really, really fun to read. Do you have any uh, best love quotes that you kind of come back to? Something hanging over your desk? Yeah, I have I have nothing hanging over my desk. I think I once said about the internet uh, explosion that it doesn't take a genius to bring a, a shovel to a gold rush uh, or something like that. And that. That seems to be one of my most repeated quotes. Generally, my most repeated quotes ha tend to have something to do with technology just because I've been in that world for so long. So, mm -hmm. Which is fortunate in the sense that I have sort of a shorthand relationship with people in that community on social media, like most people do in different communities. Uh, it's sort of a drag if I have a really good joke about something that happened in the Niner game, though, because it's totally lost on my crowd. <laughs> so most of my quotes have something to do with technology, I would say. All right. Well, let's do a couple of fun questions. Um, I know that... Uh you know, you're spending a enormous amount of time online. So I'm feeling I know the answer to this one, but uh, do you prefer um, paper or uh, electronic media? No, you're, you're going to be surprised here. I much, I much prefer uh, paper in terms of the reading experience. I, I recently switched, both my wife and I recently switched back to books. And uh, the only problem I have with printed media is the font size. That's the one thing I prefer about my Kindle and my iPad is that I can enlarge the font as my eyes get weaker and weaker. And it's one of the key things that I do not understand about old media, that their average age of their audience is like 60 plus and their <laughs> font size is totally tiny. So that just seems a perfect design example of a design issue that old media just doesn't get for some reason. The font should be huge. If you're, if you're, all of your advertisements are for catheters and Metamucil, it's chances are your readers are using glasses. Yeah. Yeah. All I can, all I can think of, uh, or a picture is my, my, uh, beloved grandmother who had like the largest magnifying glass, um, on earth that she would run over the page, you know, it would only cover like a third of the page, but yeah, I actually got these, I got these sort of, I don't know if they're called, contractors or plumbers glasses where they have a little bit of magnification magnification and they also have two led lights on either side mm 
so I can read at night and low light. So I, it takes me a lot of equipment to read on uh, the printed page, but it's worth <laughs> it for me. Yeah. And you can also take those to a rave and they're a big hit. That's true too. Um, so do you have a favorite literary character of all time? That's a tough one. My favorite writer is Toni Morrison, but do I have a favorite literary character? Uh, it could be maybe, from film or te- or TV or. Well, my favorite, my favorite character from television by far is Tony Soprano because I'm a bit of a husky and large guy. And, uh, up until the day The Sopranos started, that was sort of maybe considered unattractive to be shopping in the Husky section when you're a teen. But as soon as uh, Tony Soprano and James Gandolfini like became a sex symbol for like a decade, uh, that raised my stock hugely because up until that point, I'd sort of been compared either to Flounder on Animal House or uh, James, Jim, I mean, uh, John Belushi, sort of at the Chateau Marmont, last few days there. Oh, God. And uh, then uh, Gandolfini came along, and it's like being husky was sexy. And so he's my favorite movie character. Literary character probably still go back to somebody like Holden Caulfield or something like that. Okay, so if you had to choose um, one author from any era for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot... Who would you choose and where would you go? Uh, let's see. That's tough because I find that meeting people that you have a lot of respect for or you really like or you're a fan of is almost always a massive disappointment. Uh, that's my general outlook on life about meeting people in person. Uh, but I'd probably like to hang out with Toni Morrison. The place wouldn't really matter. I'd probably like to hang out with her wherever she writes that would be the most interesting. And I probably would prefer not to eat because I'm already self-conscious and one-on-one social circumstances. So chewing is only going to add to that. That's right. That's right. Um, all right. So as a journalist and uh, uh, modern day columnist, do you have any writer's fetishes like, um, I don't know, uh, vintage typewriters or weird, rare first edition collections, anything like that? Uh, I definitely have, uh, you know, like everybody in my generation, you have to have one or two old typewriters around your house for nostalgic purposes. So I I have a couple of those. They don't really have a tremendous amount of meaning for me, though, actually. Um, So I'm not sure I have any uh, writerly things. I'm always sort of shopping at stores for pens and notebooks but I end up almost never using them because my laptop is usually open at that time. I wish I could switch to that. I think I'd be better off if I took notes on a piece of paper. That might be why I'm having trouble finding a note-taking program that fits my needs because I should be doing it with a pen. But I I don't really have enough of those. I I have a lot of pens around and I have a lot of pads around, but in a way those are about as nostalgic as the typewriters. The main thing I do sort of collect, I would say, I guess is more digital. I save all of my old laptops and we put them, my wife got these sort of fiberglass or plexiglass uh, boxes, cubes that we put over them. So it's sort of like you're in a museum and you can go and see iBooks and MacBooks and from different eras. So oh, I cool. wish I had saved, I wish I had saved my Mac Plus or a Mac SE also, but at least I've got a few laptops. <laughs> okay. Um, so can you offer any advice to fellow writers on how to keep the cursor moving? I mean, I think it really depends on your process of writing. If you're the type of person who likes to compose at the keyboard, then I would say just sit down and do it and keep writing and have a certain 
hours each day where you really keep regular about it. Most authors that I know that are really successful sort of do that. They treat it as a job and they really do it for a certain time period each day and they get into a rhythm. And I think that's pretty helpful. I think it's also helpful to, you know, use artificial substances to get yourself going if you need to, like caffeine or uh, whatever your thing is, you know, um, if it helps. And, uh, but for me, uh, like I say, I'm more of a right in my head person. So I would say the tendency when you have something that you look at, like an assignment is to try to block it out of your mind. And I would say the more you can avoid doing that and just let the work that you're thinking about into your mind, the more you'll actually write it in your day-to-day life as you're taking a hike or as you're driving down the street or as you're taking a walk, um, you'll actually end up writing it and be done with it before you even sit down. So that's sort of the way I work. So if it's possible to do that for people, I'd advise that. But otherwise, if that doesn't work, if you can pose at the keyboard, just don't give a shit about your first paragraph because <laughs> your piece will be better if you come back and delete it later anyway. Just get it done and you'll find your second paragraph is pretty good. Love it. So where can fellow scribes connect with you out there in the world online? Uh, well, you can definitely sign up uh, for Next Draft at nextdraft.com or there's also a, a link to get the uh, app if you like iPhone app or iPad app instead. And I'm also on Twitter at Dave Pell, D-A-V-E-P-E-L-L. And uh, if you get my newsletter, one of the nice things about newsletters is you can just hit reply and it goes to me. So it's I'm easy to reach. That's right. It comes from, it hits the inbox from Dave uh, at Dave Netics. Is that right? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I am a big fan of the newsletter. Thank you so much for jumping onto the um the podcast also uh, encourage uh, listeners to find your podcast as well, um, which is a lot of fun. What hurts out there? And the app is also great. Um, so congratulations on that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm lucky. I have uh, some really good freelance designers and developers who do that stuff for me at a very reduced rate. And it's really professional. So that's it's cool. It's cool to have other indie folks helping out uh, an indie project like Next Draft. Awesome, Dave. Thanks again for jumping on the podcast and um, congratulations on your successes and we'll see you hopefully another time. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the interest. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining me for this tour of the writer's process. If you want to learn more about Mr. Pell, check out an excellent episode of the lead podcast titled Publishing Lessons from Dave Pell, the most fascinating email newsletter writer in the business. And that's hosted by my friend's Damian Farnworth and Sean Jackson over on thelead.fm. I'll link to that in the show notes too. I have one more fantastic author interview for you before the end of the year and a new season of The Writer Files launches. But if you have any questions or comments, you can drop those over at writerfiles.fm. And if you like the show, please subscribe to the the, uh, podcast and leave us a rating or review to help other writers find us. You can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Thanks. Talk to you next week.